Welcome to Season 3 of Journeys of Faith. I'm your host, Paula Ferris. We're dedicating Season 3 to the political cycle. We'll be talking with 2020 candidates and other political luminaries about how their personal faith influences their person and their policy. Donald Trump, I, I, I'm going to beat him. And, and we remove him from office, but not with his energy. Our next guest is a liberal and a progressive, but has also said he loves Donald Trump. Cory Booker, the former mayor of Newark, New Jersey, now senator, says it's because of his faith he's able to say that about the president. In this episode, which we taped in New York City, Booker explains how his faith informs his policies and why he believes Democrats need to speak more openly about their faith. And while he is a self-described Black American Christian, he feels deeply connected to other religions, particularly Judaism. Here's Senator Booker on why he's drawn to the Jewish faith and how he says God rescued him. Good to have you in the house. I am so grateful that you're doing this because I just think faith is such a seminal part of, Mm -hmm. of people's lives who are of faith that it's amazing how it it's not talked about enough. No, it, especially and, in the campaign trail. No. So. And it's often talked about in the political context in a way that mm-hmm. divides or condemns yep. or as opposed to, I think, the larger way that all faith traditions are about as a guy who studied a lot of them. Yep. Um, so I'm just grateful we're having this conversation. Thank you. So you can take me to church. You can take me to temple, synagogue, mosque, whatever you want to do today. Yes. But um, you said this, quote, I think we need more politicians, especially Democrats, that are willing to speak from their faith because Republicans think they have a monopoly on devotion and religious loyalty. Why do you think Democrats really aren't talking about faith, especially as much as the Republicans are? But, but why are they reticent or hesitant to do so on the trail? Look, I, I, I think that we're a big tent party. And mm-hmm. maybe that's this idea that we won't be inclusive if we are if we talk so much about our faith, I have a reaction too. I, I'm one of these people that says, but hey, before you tell me about your religion, first show it to me and how you treat other people. Um, and I see a lot of people, we all are, are discouraged by people who preach right and then do wrong. Mm-hmm. They talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. Yes. And I was raised in a tradition, you know, as one great theologian said, everywhere you go, preach the gospel, but only when necessary, use words. Mm. And I think faith that's seen is really important. But I find it for me, a connective way to talk about religion. And I do in a lot of my stump speeches, I quote scripture at the end of one of my stump speeches Mm -hmm. as a call to our civic gospel, not a, not a particular religion. And I think it's, it touches such deep human chords that I think it is a, can be a uniting force. And my faith, my, my Christian beliefs are, I was taught by parents. My mom was Bible school teacher, you know, Mm -hmm. in my church that faith must first and foremost come with humility before God and God's creation and a sense of awe and wonder. Um, and humility means that I don't have all the answers and that I see and have a reverence for you uh, regardless of your faith. And in fact, I, sh- I should have a curiosity about mm-hmm. you and your faith. I should seek, you can't love without knowledge. You need to know. And so I come at faith in, a, in, in that from that perspective. Yep. But at the same time, I think those are the things that we should be talking about because our religious diversity in this country is so wonderful. Break down walls and break down bigotry by having these conversations. This is what I hold true. What do you hold true? Right. But it also cuts through ignorance. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think the more we get this intimate understanding of each other, you may be Muslim, I may be Christian, but we, we have a much 
deeper connection through that knowledge. When you decided to run for president, you were anointed with oil by your pastor, and you said you prayed on it. Why did you ultimately decide to run for president? My mom changed my life when I was in my 20s. At the age, usually, you're toning out your mother. I think Mm -hmm. when you get to your 40s and 50s, you suddenly realize how amazing they are. But it's this period where you're not listening to them. And so my mom was, I was still trying to figure out what to do in law school. And she told me, had listened to my angst. And then I told her some very modest ambitions. And she said, well, if that's what you want to do, I will celebrate that. But she said to me, I don't want you to make decisions out of fear. I want you to make them out of faith. My mm-hmm. mom goes, you've been given these blessings, you know, uh, Rhodes Scholar, you know, Stanford University, all these things. And what do you take risk? You, you need to get out there. And so do what you would do if, if failure was not possible. Yeah, that's, that's. And so this was the president's decision. I was really thinking a lot about my mom and her yeah. counsel was really important. And when I started putting you pros. You did it for your mother. I did not do it for my mother, <laughs> but I have an extraordinary mom. As a mother, I just want to leave it right there. Yes. Okay. My mom has this saying where she says, behind every successful child uh-huh. is an astonished parent. <laughs> and, and so That's my mom. So true. Yes. But, so I, true. but I thought about my mom and I put the list together whether to run or mm-hmm. not. And the fear was, I ended up seeing the cons were all not to do this were all reasons of fear. Yeah. And the reasons to do it were all reasons that resonated with my faithfulness, my boldness, my audacity of dreams. I want to talk about what you do believe, because you said you were raised in a Christian home, but then you studied the Torah, studied Gandhi. You recite the Torah on the trail quite a bit. You've had so many influences, spiritual influences in your life. So how did you settle on Christianity? And if I were to ask you, what do you believe? How would you answer it? Well, the first thing is, look, Gandhi said it wonderfully. He said, honor your incarnation. I was born as a black Christian, uh, American, so on and so forth. And that is my faith. Jesus Christ is at this. His radical love is at the center of my life ambitions. Um, uh, A relentless, unrelenting, radical love, which love is not sentimentality. It's not anemic. Love is difficult. Love is hard. Love takes sacrifice. Love is service. All the decisions I make, I filter through that moral compass, uh, and I make bad decisions, and I make mistakes. But I also know that if that radical love, again, I'm going to love my fellow human beings, and Mm -hmm. there are so many other religions to love you. I need to know you. And in fact, I had a theologian, a Christian mentor in college who was the dean of, of the church, in fact, and he said to me, Jesus was a was a Jew. Jesus was a Jew, yeah. <laughs> you you want to mm-hmm. be a better Christian? Learn yeah. Jesus is a religion. Yeah. And so it set the stage for me to go to Oxford and begin to stumble into influences that had me studying Torah regularly. But here you are, a black American Christian, and now you are the president of a Jewish organization on campus at Oxford. Yes. Well, Judaism is this great religion that believes in tikkun olam, healing the world, mm-hmm. bringing the world together. Uh, the Hebrew I quoted on, 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 a, on a town hall stage was, Ki beti beti may my house be a house of prayer for many religions. In fact, Judaism of the three Abrahamic faiths doesn't believe in conversion. Mm-hmm. In fact, if you want to try to be Jewish, they have to turn you down three times. It, it actually believes in bringing people together. And that's mm-hmm. what I, I, that was something I loved uh, and being a part of an organization that was had Mormon members, Muslim members. Yep. I love faith. I just love it. I mean, my study- but you've connected particularly with Judaism, and and it's nourished you. So why do you not identify as such? Well, I, I, I'll, I'll say this: I, I was a mayor of a city with a big Muslim population. Mm. I've I've been to mosque to prayer to working with 
imams. So I feel very connected to uh, mm-hmm. the Islamic faith as well. And Hinduism really spoke to me as well. My hero being Gandhi. And um, uh, look, I've got, uh, you know, Ganesh around my house, the, yeah. the remover of obstacles. Uh-huh. Uh, I just wonder at this world. And I just have this curiosity about us who we are Mm -hmm. and the wonderful manifestations of God on, on earth, uh, the people created in his image on earth. So why am I a Christian? Because my faith is consistent with all of that. Mm. I think that Jesus is radical love. He would be delighting in other people and Mm -hmm. regardless of their station and the people I seem to be inspired by the most are those people who most live their values. Mm -hmm. I, 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 that's what I strive for, as I said, imperfectly, but I am inspired by people who, despite hardship, pain, wretchedness, still find a way to manifest their faith in ways that are beautiful, healing, illuminating to the world. Is it because of your faith that you've been able to say, quote, I love Donald Trump? And you mean it. You've said, I love Donald Trump. And you say, I'm going to keep loving on him, tell the truth about him, praying for the best for him and his family. You show me your truth. I'll show you mine. I love you, brother. How are you able to say that? Because my... I come from a black family that told me stories about facing hatred and bigotry and viciousness that um, I'll never directly face in, in the ways that my ancestors have. But yet they found ways to never let someone corrupt their soul. And if I love you doesn't mean I'm gonna, not going to fight you. Doesn't mean it's I'm a not gonna, clear distinction. Clear distinction doesn't mean I'm not going to work against you, but I will never let you tear me so far down that I'm going to hate you. Mm. And I thought the power of the civil rights heroes that I admire, the power of Gandhi. I mean, the British Empire was doing horrific things to the Indian people, but but he knew, as King said so eloquently, darkness can't drive out darkness; only light can do that. Hate can't drive out hate; only love can do mm-hmm. that. And I worry about the soul of our nation right yeah. now. If we try to beat Trump using his tactics his term on his turf, I, I, I tell the story all the time. One of my first town halls in Iowa, I'm running to the stage, and this big guy sees me. As you can see, I'm a big guy, former tight end from Stanford. The older I get, the better I was. And you played basketball at Oxford, yeah, too. Basketball. So basketball Yeah, I'm and a big jock. So I see this other big jock. I'm actually sitting on two pillows with you, <laughs> so I can be eye level with you. <laughs> And and he, the guy stops me. He puts his arm around me. He goes, "Dude, I want you to punch Donald Trump in the face." And I look at him and I go, "Dude, that's a felony." Yeah. <laughs> and, and we're not going to beat him. We didn't beat Bull Connor in Birmingham by bringing bigger dogs and bigger fire hoses. These folks who showed love in action, the ferocity of love, standing up against this power. What they did was they had the ability to ignite the moral imagination of this country. To to call to the conscience of this nation to tell them the opposite of justice yep. is not just injustice it's apathy it's indifference and it's an action in the face of injustice mm-hmm. and so donald trump I, I, i'm going to beat him and and we remove him from office but not with his energy we'll be right back after the break The audacity of being able to say, I love Donald Trump, that's shocking to so many people. I, I know it is, at a time that he's so vicious and cruel, and I'm so hurt. Look, I've given in to that before. Mm-hmm. In fact, one of the, talk about faith, one of the most powerful points in my life was when my faith was decimated. I was done. When I, I was felt, this? What happened? It, I had lost an election. I ran for mayor in 2002 and lost. And... 
then went back to living in these high-rise projects, and things just got worse in the city. In the middle of all that, two years after the last election, two years before the next one, I'm walking in my neighborhood with my dad, and gunshots ring out, which is not an unusual mm-hmm. thing for inner cities in America. But I happened to be there and run up the run into this so this little hill. Off duty cop was there, ran right behind me, and there's a teenager with gunshots in his chest. In this period of trying to stop a person from dying and it being so gruesome, I mean, blood coming everywhere as I'm putting my hands in his chest, not knowing what to do, just trying to stop blood coming everywhere, foamy blood pouring from his mouth, me screaming at him not to die. The paramedics finally came, pushed me out, ripped open his chest, and I knew at that point he was he was gone. Yeah. And the trauma for me at that point, I don't even remember how I got back to my apartment, but I remember standing in my bathroom trying to scrub another boy's blood off my, my hands and looking at myself in the mirror, and that's when it was over. I was done. I just felt so angry at this world. How can we be a nation where we all put our hands on our hearts and swear an oath? We make a pledge that we're going to be a place of liberty and justice for all. But black children mm-hmm. are dying in my city and nobody cares. The press doesn't even freaking write about it. And I had tried. I had given everything I had to try to stop the madness. And it just kept coming. And the death kept coming. And the injustice kept coming. I was so angry, so hurt, so hateful that how could we become this country that has the leading cause of death for my kids murder? I remember getting in the Mm. shower, just feeling so much pain and hurt that I turned the water on as hot as I could, hoping the water, the, the hurt on the outside could numb the pain on the inside. You weren't trying to hurt yourself, were you? No, I was trying to just, just numb the pain, numb the pain. Okay. And the salvation I got, and I do believe in God. And I believe that he rescued me because the next morning, I come down into the lobby of my building early in the morning, just trying to get out, just trying to get away, just trying to plot what I'm going to do with my life now because I just felt overwhelmed at that point. I felt like I was drowning 100 feet underwater. Mm-hmm. And I walked through these lobbies of these projects. In the lobby, there was a murder two decades before in the 80s of the tenant president's child. And she never left those buildings, even the son was murdered. And I knew she made enough money to go anywhere. She sort of taught me that hope is the active conviction that despair won't have the last word. She was this giant, even though she was like five feet tall. And I walked through, and somehow I remember this. This is your child. Mm -hmm. This is just a teenager that Mm -hmm. I didn't know. Wazin was his name. And I come out into the courtyard, and there across the courtyard is Miss Jones. And her back is towards me, but she turns around almost as if she heard my soul screaming for help. And then she did the only thing I could have needed at that moment. She just opens her arm. And I'm this big rambling former football player. I run across that courtyard like I'm a little child to the arms of my mother. And this elder leader in our community holds me tight. And I just break. Now I sob. Mm -hmm. And she just says two words over and over to me that I held on to. They became my mantra when I was on the toughest days as mayor. I use them in the Senate sometimes when I'm banging my head against implacable walls of resistance. I I say I'm on this campaign trail when I'm getting on my third or fourth plane and I feel like I'm leaning on the spirit of the incredible people I get to meet. And the thing she said over and over again to me was, stay faithful, stay faithful, stay faithful. No, I think it's Niebuhr that wrote that about faith where he said that, you know, nothing can be accomplished uh, in, in our lifetime alone. Therefore, we're saved by love. Nothing right. can be accomplished uh, by any one individual. But ultimately, what's going to save us is our, our faith and our love and our connections to one another. And this is what I've learned in Newark. It's gifted me a mm-hmm. faith so much more powerful than the 
Christian faith I grew up with. It was tested. It was broken. It, uh, it was rebuilt by faithful people who have seen more hardships mm-hmm. than I'll ever see, but taught me what real faith is. Faith is not the absence of hardship or hate or viciousness or wretchedness. Faith is, goes on despite all of that and, and does not let those things have the last Let word. me ask you how your faith affects policy. How does your personal faith affect your stance on abortion, gun control? I am one of these people my whole life is all about finding common ground. So where is the common ground on such an absolute issue where one person believes you're killing babies? Um, I believe that you're not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I believe that in a woman's sanctity of her body, your ability to control her own body, and that these are issues between her, her, her doctor and her God, and that government should not have a role in this. But the common ground to me is obvious. If your view is that you want there to be less abortions in America— if your view is you want there to be less unwanted pregnancies in America, this is where my mayor hat comes on. When I was mayor, I said, in God we trust, everybody else bring me data. Where is the most radical reductions in abortions happening in America? Is it happening in states like Alabama, Missouri, who are trying to take away women's reproductive rights or trying to strip them from access to Planned Parenthoods? No. Is it in the inner cities? It's Colorado. Colorado? What did Colorado do to have 40% overall reduction? What they did was they gave radical access to contraception uh, to low-income women, mm. free IUDs. So this idea that we are going to stop, quote-unquote, abortions, mm-hmm. if people are people who believe these things, right. that th- believe that that's somehow the sanctity of life, that we're going to do it by stripping power away from women, right. stripping contraceptive care, closing Planned Parenthoods, they are going to create the exact opposite result and endanger the lives because people will still try to get abortions. Mm-hmm. Right now, it's an attack on low-income women more than anything because women of affluence will go to states that it's allowed. No. You want to empower them and stop trying to close Planned Parenthoods. You want to empower people, give them more agency, more choice. You want to empower, lower the rates of, of abortion, give kids better access to education, Unwanted pregnancies go down when you mm-hmm. empower young people, give them... You educate them. So my point is is that I, we were, we're not going to solve this divide. I firmly in my belief, you're firmly in yours. So let's figure out where we can work together and let, let's look at the data. If we want to, in this country, have lower rates of unwanted pregnancies, who is doing it and how are they accomplishing it? Do you believe that we are still one nation under God? One of my lines in my stump speech all the time is that every generation of America has been able to do more, accomplish more, because they were they were earnestly trying to put more indivisible into this one nation under God. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we're still one nation. The lines that divide us are nowhere near as strong as the ties that mm-hmm. bind us. What kind of religions do you think should be taught in school if you're president? I think that we should have a nation that teaches about the world's cultures. Every every religion, right? Well, first of all, that's kind of hard because yeah. there's a lot of them out there. there are. But I know my life was enriched by learning about differences. Mm-hmm. And by the way, as a as a Democrat, I'm let me be critical. I think that college campuses that ban speakers from coming on that have conservative views are undermining the education uh, and the strength of progressive kids on those campuses. Because I want to have my values tested. Mm-hmm. And by the way, if you're, if you're the, still the same person with the same beliefs you had 10 years ago, you've wasted 10 years. There's something that you can learn from everybody. In closing, I want to ask you two things. First question, who are your spiritual influences? Which people? I mean, I, I read lots of spiritual books. And people, maybe some Gandhi, people. Uh, King, mm-hmm. um, Abraham Joshua Heschel, Jesus Christ, and mm-hmm. the writings of Jesus Christ. Um, Thurman, I mean, Cornel West's writes, writing about religion has, has his radical views of, mm-hmm. of Christian love. 
um, I, I just I just love reading about faith. I appreciate that you're unabashedly speaking about your own personal faith on the campaign trail. I wish more candidates would do so. In closing, where do you think you'd be, Cory Booker, if you didn't have your faith? A lot richer. <laughs> <laughs> that was not the answer I was expecting. <laughs> um, look, I, I, I live in a below-the-poverty-line community. Mm-hmm where we don't mistake wealth with worth. And, and I see that you wanted to look for Jesus. Where did you find him? Where did you find him? Mm-hmm. I, I'm trying my best to live in accordance to my radical. The, first of all, it is a radical conception to say you believe in God. Mm-hmm. That alone. And if you believe in God, you should be a humble human being <laughs> because you are fractured and flawed mm-hmm. and failing. But I believe in this concept of a radical love. It is who I am. It gives me sustenance. When I'm hurt and painful, um, I slipped out of bed this morning while, while, while the person next to me was still sleeping and <laughs> was on my knees uh, praying uh, um, uh, because I just – I'm holding on to that faith. So – I don't know where I would be. I'd be lost. I'd be utter, rudderless. I may, I may have a lot of success according mm-hmm. to worldly views, but I don't judge my success by celebrity. I judge it by significance, by purpose. It's can I go home at night and be comfortable that between me and my God, I've done my best every single day to live up to this concept of what is radical love. And I think it's the most powerful, transformative force. I believe it's the hope we have as a nation for us to turn not against each other, but to each other, Mm -hmm. to recognize that we need each other. Um, This is what my whole campaign is based on this idea that if America keeps ripping itself apart, we're not going to be able to meet the challenges of global climate change. We met challenges of our past from beating the Nazis uh, uh, to uh, going to the moon because we we found a deeper love. Yeah. Our, our founding documents preach love. You think the Declaration of Independence is about independence? It's about interdependence. Mm-hmm. Literally, the last words are, we must mutually pledge, pledge to each other, our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Yeah. That kind of commitment to one another, that's love. And so it doesn't mean we always have to like each other. It doesn't mean we always have to agree with each other. But God, don't let this become a nation where we're the highest ideal we preach of is tolerance, that we're a tolerant nation. Don't say that pridefully. Tolerance is a cynical state of mind. It's like, I'm going to stomach your right to be different. I tolerated the cold I had yesterday. Mm-hmm. No. Tolerance crosses the street. Love embraces. Tolerance builds walls. Love builds, tears them down and builds bridges. Tolerance couldn't care less. Love couldn't care more. And we need a whole lot more caring for each other in this country. Well, I have loved this conversation. Cory Booker, thank you for joining me on Journeys of Faith. Good luck on the trail. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Journeys of Faith. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast to make sure you get new episodes as soon as they're released. And let us know what you think with a rating and a review. Journeys of Faith, it's a production of ABC Audio produced by Whitney Lloyd, Lewis Millman, and Susie Liu. Thanks again for listening. I'm Paula Ferris.